What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella. Which is just a very extra way of saying a podcast. I'm Dios FM. And I am Mala Munoz. Locatora Radio is your prima's favorite podcast hosted by us, Mala and Diosa. We're two IG friends turned podcast partners breaking down pop culture, feminism, sexual wellness, and offering fresh takes on trending topics through nuanced interviews with up-and-coming Latinx creatives. Known as Las Locatoras, Las Mamis Submitting Bullshit, The Porcasteras Next Door, and Las Porcasteras Peligrosas, we've been podcasting independently since 2016, and we're bringing our radiophonic novela to the My Cultura Network to continue sharing stories from the Latinx community. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 7. Take, Take us to your, your network. network. Welcome back to Locatora Radio. This is Capitulo 151-151. I'm Diosa. And I am Mala. Last time on Locatora Radio, we talked about self-love. On this episode, we will be talking about gun violence and mass shootings. We encourage our listeners to take care as they listen and step away if they need to. We think it's really important to our local community and the broader community to cover this. We're calling this episode an ode to the San Gabriel Valley because there was a shooting in Monterey Park on January 21st, 2023. A gunman killed 11 people and injured 10 at Star Ballroom Dance Studio. And we grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. And when we heard about the shooting, one of the first things that we said to each other was, oh, my God, this is hitting way too close to home. And the gunman in this shooting, who we are intentionally not naming, he went to the Lai Lai Ballroom with the intent of killing even more people at, after the the shooting at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio. And it was at the Lai Lai Ballroom where the gunman was disarmed by Branman Say. And also what a lot of people are pointing out, that he was disarmed by a civilian, not by law enforcement, 
not by a SWAT team, by a civilian. And so uh, Brandon has been called a hero and we agree. And so we definitely wanted to name him and, you know, really just point that out, that it was a civilian that disarmed the shooter. And like Mala mentioned, this mass shooting hit close to home in so many ways, not only geographically, but it's part of where we grew up. So for those unfamiliar with Monterey Park, it's an Asian immigrant, Asian American enclave in the San Gabriel Valley in LA County. Mala and I have origins in this community, which is one of the reasons we wanted to cover it today. Yes, proudly an SGV girl. The San Gabriel Valley is a a part of Los Angeles County, just east of East Los Angeles. That includes 22 cities, starting right after El Sereno, right? We're getting into South Pasadena, Pasadena, Alhambra, Monterey Park, Temple City, all the way out Pico Rivera, uh, Covina, West Covina. It's a really, really, really big area, and it's part of Los Angeles County. And I grew up in the city of San Gabriel, in Pasadena, and going to school in Alhambra, spending a lot of time, whether it was athletics, with friends, visiting friends, in all the surrounding cities, including Monterey Park. And for a time when I was very small, we lived in Monterey Park for a spell. Yeah, and I went to high school in Alhambra. I went to an all-girls school, and so I spent a lot of my youth in Alhambra, and I was also a runner. I was on the cross-country team, so the distance between Alhambra and Monterey Park is super close. So we were always like running to Monterey Park, running through the city. I have, you know, one of my best friends, her family, and she still lives there in Monterey Park. And so to me, it's like such a special place. I, I love when I get to schedule days in the, in Alhambra and Monterey Park, when I get to I make a point of like going to have lunch there, going to have dinner there, because it feels like an extension of home for me because it's where I spent a lot of my youth. Um, a lot of my formative high school years. And so it has such a special place in my heart and in in my family's life because my dad actually worked in Monterey Park for like 30 plus years in addition to like other parts of LA. And so it's just such a special place. My grandpa used to have like doctors in Monterey Park. Like we were just always uh, frequenting this community. And so to see it on the news in this way was super devastating. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted or calling this an ode to the San Gabriel Valley, because it's not just about talking about this this tragic mass shooting, but also like talking about the community that has made it what it is, that has made it a thriving community. And so we're going to bring a guest in a little bit uh, to talk about that. But just to, uh, Mala's going to provide some more context about LA County and some some data from the last year. Yeah. And a little history too. This is not, ne- this is the, the worst mass shooting in Los Angeles County in the history. This is the most deadly mass shooting. Monterey Park also faced, was terrorized and faced violence during basically the the murder spree of Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. He was very much out in the San Gabriel Valley and in Monterey Park committing acts of violence and killing people. So the community, even though it's it's beautiful, it's considered quiet, it's suburban, it has experienced tragedy and loss. And it's another reason why this is 
really painful for everybody because I think a lot of folks remember that fear and for this type of thing to take place again is really unnerving. So last year on Locatora Radio, we talked about LA versus Hate Week. According to their report on hate crimes, there were 77 anti-Asian crimes, the largest number in at least 20 years, which I think is also providing context for this incident because we're seeing this increase in anti-Asian hate and it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, and so um, before we invite our guest, we wanted to talk a little bit about the victims. Um, There's been some really great reporting coming out of LA Taco, the LA Times, NPR, and um, that's where we source the names of the victims. But just a little bit about the victims. They were all in their 50s and 70s. They loved to dance and were members of this dance community. And it was a regular Saturday night for them. And I think one of the things that really moves me is, you know, my mom is in her 60s and I'm like, she's at, you know, she's recently retired and I'm like pushing her, encouraging her to like gain hobbies, get in, be involved in the community. And that's exactly what these people were doing. They were regulars at this, this, this spot. It was their local hangout spot. You know, they loved to dance. They loved ballroom. They had their community. Many of them had been going there for decades. Some were new to the studio. And so it's really heartbreaking. And so I'm just going to name them before we queue up our guest. So one of the first victims is Valentino Marcos Alvero. He was 68. Hongin Jian was 62. Yu Lun Kao, he was 72. Lilian Li, she was 63. Mi Nian was 65. Mingwei Ma, he was 72. Diana Man Ling Tom, she was 70. Mui Dai Ung was 67. Chia Ling Yao was 76. Wen Tao Yu was 64. And Chu Xuan Yu, she was 57. So now to give us more insight about the the people of Monterey Park, the community of Monterey Park, we are joined by Bianca Mabuti-Louis. You may have seen her tweets on your timeline where she discusses the diasporic communities of Monterey Park. She's also a sociologist, a scholar, an activist, and an author of an upcoming book, not released yet, called Unassimilable. And so we're going to be talking to her today about her work and about the community of Monterey Park. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. 
I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon Serum. This next-generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. All right, so we are super excited to have our guest with us. Welcome, Bianca. Please introduce yourself. Say hello to our listeners. Hello, I'm glad to be here. I am Bianca Mabuthe-Louis. Um, I am a PhD student studying sociology. I'm also writing my first book, educator, scholar, activist, originally from St. Gabriel Valley, but currently in Houston. Amazing. So I want to ask you about the book that you're working on and your work as a scholar very much ties into this conversation that we're having about Monterey Park and assimilation. And your book is called Unassimilable. So can Mm -hmm. you tell us more about it? Yes, I'd love to. So the book actually opens with my grandma, my maternal side, my popo, um, and me growing up in San Gabriel Valley, my parents first arriving in Monterey Park. And it makes this argument that by looking at the ethnoverb, it provides an alternative picture of what it could look like to thrive in this country, right? Where the American perception and imagination of an immigrant is that you have to assimilate, you have to integrate into white institutions to just survive and have safety and belonging. But I opened with this story of my grandma who um, came to this country actually in her 70s, actually after we did. Um, she was divorced. She didn't speak English. She didn't have a car, which in SoCal is very difficult to get around. And yet she was able to actually have a very thriving social life in her elder years. She um, lived this, in this apartment building where she had neighbors who also spoke Cantonese, who she would play mahjong with and talk shit and gossip with every day. She went to a Cantonese speaking church where she got baptized. She would walk across the street and go to 85 degrees and get her bread every morning. Right. And, you know, I tell this story because um, she was really set up without a lot of safety nets and there would be a lot of barriers to her creating and having a life in this country at that age given her circumstances, but she was able to thrive because of the ethnoverb. Yeah, that story makes the argument that what if we leaned into being unassimilable as a politic, in particular for Asians in the US, when being unassimilable used to be something that um, was weaponized against us, against our uh, other immigrant groups as a reason to exclude and dehumanize us. Thank you for the that summary. And I love that term ethnoverb. Mm-hmm. I- think so often people associate suburbs with whiteness, yeah. with with wealth, 
uh, with with sterility in many ways, with conformity and uniformity. And I know in LA, if you're in the city, and I live in the city of Los Angeles now, but there's this kind of predominant idea that the San Gabriel Valley is this like is wealthy suburban full of white people, and that's not the case. And and I I, I wonder if you could expand more also on that. Like the San Gabriel Valley is filled with people of color, is yes. filled with working class folks and immigrant communities from different parts of the Asian continent. Yeah, um, the term ethnoverb was actually coined by a geographer who studied the San Gabriel Valley and these demographic changes you're talking about, Wei Li. She has a book called Ethnoverb on it. But right, it does kind of disrupt and trouble our ideas that suburbs are where you go to get closer to whiteness. Um, but actually, I mean, San Gabriel Valley and Monterey Park in particular was historically a white suburb and before that, obviously, indigenous land. Um, but actually, post-1965, actually a lot of Chinese and Mexican and Japanese American immigrants, mostly second gen, upwardly mobile, started moving in. So it was already becoming a more multicultural suburb. But really, it was in the 80s when this huge demographic shift happened, um, when we had more, quote, highly skilled Asian immigrants coming in, because that's what the immigration quotas allowed. Um, so a lot of white collar folks from Taiwan and Hong Kong who were also responding to political changes and upheaval in their homelands coming. Um, we have also Southeast Asian refugees displaced by American imperialism. Um, and we also have a lot of working class, blue collar, a lot of times undocumented Asian workers who come as well. And so not only does the ethnoburb disrupt this idea of the suburb being where you go to get closer to whiteness, but it's also incredibly socioeconomically diverse as well. It isn't just a place for rich Asians who made it or who are white collar, but actually with that, with the socioeconomic diversity, there's also a lot of nuance there. There's still exploitation. There's still the logics and barriers that capitalism brings. And um, that's just kind of the complexity and also the beauty of yeah, where, where we come from. Thanks for giving us that context of the ethnoburb. I feel very much like, you know, where I live in Southeast LA could very much be defined as an ethnoburb, as like you're talking about it, where it's like this place where Latinos, Latinx folks, families, immigrants have like, like strived to get to. But the difference that I'm seeing with what you're talking about in Monterey Park and the San Gabriel Valley in general is like the the rejection of assimilation, which you know, in my experience with our community has not very, has not always been the case. And so to really see it as a tool uh, to thrive, as you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, because I was, I had read this article uh, or had learned that in uh, Monterey Park in the 80s and then in, in 2013, there was this motion movement by the city council to change, to enforce um, English language signage in Monterey Park and for it to be like mandated and there was like community pushback and where they weren't able to do it and so I'm wondering if you can speak on that because I feel like it's so related to this rejection of assimilation and like we can thrive in our ling in our own languages and in our community yeah well, well first I also do want to say like in every community there are plenty of folks in my community who also do really want to assimilate and I also understand why right um, but with the signage, that's so interesting. So something, you know, if you have even driven through St. Gabriel Valley, um, you'll see 
tons of signs in Chinese and Vietnamese in particular. And that's correct that in the 80s, there was a big pushback against that. At that point, city council was already diversifying quite a bit. And so in addition to the backlash of um, toward the multilingual signage, I think it was also backlash against folks of color coming in and actually taking positions of power in the city. And so, yes, like you said, there was this very nativist group of white folks who have been in Monterey Park for a very, very long time, launched this English only campaign, wanting to ban any multilingual signs that were not in English. And a lot of the rhetoric that they used, honestly, is rhetoric we continue to see today and that we have seen since the beginning of this country, right? That is, again, very xenophobic and nativist and pushing this agenda of, sure, you can come here, but you must Americanize. And absolutely, you know, assimilation goes one way. You assimilate into whiteness and Americanness, but there's no way that you can actually influence or transform the community that you're coming into, right? But that's exactly what was happening. And so I believe what happened was they tried to reach a middle ground where signs could continue to stay in Chinese and Vietnamese, but it also required um, them to also be in English included as well, which didn't actually end up satisfying anybody, but that's what they came to. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right rug flooring. So Bianca, in a, in addition to the the assim- the pressures to assimilate that are coming from all these different directions, we also in the past few years have seen anti Asian hate, acts of violence, uh, and these incidents have increased. Um, and I'm wondering if there's a connection to the unassimilability and the ethno-burb concept and the anti-Asian violence and the anti-Asian hate. 
And if there's a connection that can be drawn there, and if it has anything to do with the most recent shooting that we saw here in Monterey Park at the Star Ballroom. Yeah, there's a lot of different things happening, right, all at once. Um, I think one thing I've been thinking about is, and, and that I kind of inspired the concept for this book, is in response to the scapegoating that happened of Asian folks for COVID-19, there was a push in wanting to prove our Americanness, actually. And we see that again um, when Japanese Americans were incarcerated during World War II, there was a push to prove your patriotism. We saw that after 9-11 too. And so very much so, so politically to um, kind of proclaim your allegiance to this country has been used as a strategy for survival, especially during times of political upheaval. And yet at the same time, you know, the world post 1916 or 2016 is not, is different from what I knew it, right? Post Trump and all of the, kind of the, these rotten roots of our country have been exposed. And so I'm seeing, you know, my community respond out of fear and trauma to wanting to really prove our belonging to this country. And at the same time, I'm like sitting here, like, I don't want to belong here. You know, I don't want to belong to this place that only seems to want my community for our labor but continues to reject our humanity and where our citizenship, not just ours, but so for so many folks can be taken away so easily, right? Um, and so that was what made me think about this concept of unassimilable as if we're going to be always kind of stereotyped as perpetually foreign anyway, what if we again took and explored these examples of where folks have really leaned in um, and in being quote perpetually foreign, like leaned in to refuse to learn English like my grandma and actually been able to find spaces to thrive and community to thrive. And so it's kind of just an exploration and, and playing with what it would look like to reject assimilation as the only form of survival, but explore what it could look like to build our own sense of belonging and safety. There was a second thought I had about uh, another part that you asked, but yeah, but in the end, like we hold all of these things in tension, right? Because the, the threat of violence is real and it's different for different folks in our community. So I think about the Atlanta shooting, um, how that targeted massage parlor workers who were also women. And I also think about how, you know, anti-Asian hate is not just these interpersonal attacks, but it's also state violence against folks in our community. There are a lot of ways that the framework of hate actually needs to be expanded to understand the structural violence that our community has been under for a long time. Which again, when you when you understand things as structural, then all the more reason to really question, is this country and what it stands for, is, is it actually something we want to belong to? Or is it actually maybe full of contradictions that, and something we actually need to indict? I, I'm so glad also you brought up you know, in Atlanta that the sh shooting victims who were targeted were, were Asian women. And it seems like, I don't have a statistic on me, but from what I've seen, it seems to me that a lot of the incidents of anti-Asian hate have been directed towards Asian women specifically. And the shooting in Monterey Park, the news that, that I have seen in the days and hours since, seemed to indicate that the shooter was like looking for his wife, who I would yeah. assume is, is an Asian woman. It makes me think that maybe there was a history of domestic violence here. And what we've learned from other mass shootings is often those shooters have histories of domestic violence, hatred towards women, um, assault and battery towards women, what have you. So I, 
I'm wondering like that gendered piece of it, your thoughts and, and how that played a role in Monterey Park. Yeah, I think, you know, it shows that even in our protected, unassimilable ethnoverbs, our protected spaces we build, we are still vulnerable to violence, to gun violence and to patriarchal violence that exists in all of our communities that perhaps is emboldened by the leniency around gun culture here and also emboldened by just overall misogyny in our culture. Um, AAPI Women Lead, which is an organization based in Oakland, is actually has been really great and at the foreground of making sure we have this intersectional gendered analysis of what we're seeing, because it's true. The data has shown that um, folks who are reporting incidents of hate are predominantly women. And um, so there, there's two, two layers to this. So one is the reality of domestic and interpersonal violence that is in all shootings that is seems to be an American problem <laughs> that persists and has festered in our thriving ethnoverbs and perhaps the isolation of it. Again, AAPI Women Lead wrote a great um, post on this, how isolation usually conditions violence a lot of times. And then there's another layer where Asian women have been uniquely marginalized in this country, uh, where even before the Atlanta shooting, we see how Asian women have been tokenized and sexualized and dehumanized in imperialist wars that this country has had in Asia. Um, we also know that, you know, before the Chinese Exclusion Act, there was the Page Act that first actually banned specifically Asian women from coming to this country under the assumption that all Asian women coming were sex workers. Um, and so Asian women were in policy sexualized and criminalized in that way. And so um, I think all of these layers are helpful context for us to understand why we see that observation that you shared. Thank you so much for breaking that down. You know, at Locatora, we're constantly thinking about all of the ways that violence against women is kind of like the entryway for larger violence, systemic institutionalized violence. Um, we know that this act of violence and hearing about it is so super heavy and that there's a community, multiple communities that are mourning. And so, you know, my question for you to like round out this conversation and close this conversation is how does this community and, you know, how do we as a community like heal from this? And like, you know, for in our community, like Latinx, the Latino community, mental health is like it's very still stigmatized to like get resources to talk about how you're feeling and so i'm wondering like how do from your perspective how do you see this playing out and do you think that there are enough resources for people to heal from this yeah that's such a good and hard and necessary question we know that there are barriers to mental health in our communities that as you know, there are so many Asian folks in California, but such a lack in the state and in the country of culturally responsive, linguistically accessible mental health care. I, I think part of it is actually, you know, leaning into the interdependence that we already see mm. in the ethnoburb in a way that, you know, it's just in a lot of our cultures to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I also wonder, you know, part of that is also naming, maybe making room for some of the intergenerational pain that is in our intimate relationships and households and communities. I think also, yeah, a, a part, another part of 
maybe being unassimilable is actually leaning into the fact that we are vulnerable to these larger structures that inflict violence on us. And it cultivates and create these conditions for intra-ethnic violence or violence we do onto each other. And so in terms of healing that, it's like, I, I just, it makes me wonder what pain, again, in the midst of our thriving communities and resilience, like what pain has never been addressed and has never had anywhere to go. And it makes me wonder if that is some of the pain that is getting inflict that we inflict onto each other. It makes me also think about, uh, there's this great um, podcast episode from Stephanie Fu on Invisibilia, specifically on uh, culturally responsive mental health care for Asian elders, many of whom are refugees, and how those modalities for healing look very different from how the Western world understands mental health. But it included things like going with them to get groceries. And then I think about how that's already things our community does for and with each other, you know? And so I, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, you know, I, I think about just interdependence and recognizing the pain and trauma that is invisible in a lot of our community's struggles and strivings to just survive in this country. Absolutely. And, you know, for our listeners out there, and as a quick reminder, there's always this tendency in the United States in particular to sort of point out, oh, Black on Black crime, Asian on Asian crime, like Mexican on Mexican, they do it to themselves, kind of a, a rhetoric, right? But there is this reality that, at least in this country, the person most likely to harm you is probably the person who has most proximity to you is likely someone in your own community. White people hurt white people at very high rate. It's uh, our, 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 we're talking about also the ethnoburb, and there's also this other reality of, we have intense um, segregation still in many ways. Uh, there's a legacy of segregation in the country. And so our communities and our enclaves tend to be kind of monoethnic sometimes, right? And then that, like you're talking about the isolation, it's not just people of color who are experiencing this, right? Like white people cause harm to each other and hurt each other as well. And so I just wanted to throw that out there and point that out because, uh, you know, so as not to put, we, we're ne we never want to patho pathologize like ourselves and I see it happening, right? And it, in the wake of the Monterey Park shooting, people engaging in that sort of chatter, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, violence happens everywhere. <laughs> and I, I do think, you know, the, um, the violence that people of color do face from the state and from whiteness it makes this kind of harm we do unto each other a little, like, it's like the twist of the knife, right? Like, we know that, um, we know that this might happen when we leave our protected spaces and we leave our home. We know that race, racial violence exists. And when it happens within our own communities, yeah, it's, it's another wrinkle to the pain that I think we all collectively are trying to figure out how to heal from and protect ourselves from. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to share some resources. And if you have any, Bianca, like I wanted to share that um, uh, there's the Monterey Park Brueggemeyer Library has drop-in counseling services. And there are multilingual caseworkers and counselors from the Chinatown Service Center. And that will be through February 10th, 2023. Um, so head to the Monterey Park city website to get those times you know if that's something that you need or you know someone that needs those services so i wanted to ask you also bianca if there's any organizations services that you want to plug that you want to share and also of course like let us know when your book is coming out we would love to support it 
Well, thank you. Um, I think there are a few GoFundMes um, for the Monterey Park shooting as well as the Half Moon Bay shooting, which also happened, you know, in the isolation of um, mostly Latinx and Asian farm workers. So I will, I can send those over. Uh, and as well as, you know, since we did talk about the intersections of racialized and patriarchal violence, again, AAPI Women Lead, they facilitate conferences, they're having conversations on the ground, intergenerational conferences, uh, conversations about these types of issues. Um, so I would also, you know, recommend them as a great space. Bianca Mabute-Louis, thank you so much for joining us today on Locatora Radio. We appreciate your work and your knowledge and you and your time. And to all of our listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening. Watch out for Bianca's book. And this has been another episode of Locatora Radio. Locatora Radio is a production of Locatora Productions in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Besitos. Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella. Hosted by Mala Munoz and Diosa Femme. There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.